0: Today we're reading Amos chapters 6 through 9. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Let's begin today by reviewing our introduction to the book of Amos. Amos was a prophet during the reign of King Uzziah, who reigned from 790 to 739 B.C. He was the king over Judah. And King Jeroboam, too, he reigned over Israel from 793 to 753 B.C., According to Amos chapter seven verse fourteen, he was a shepherd and gatherer of sycamore fruit, but he was called to go prophesy to the northern kingdom. Amos lived in Tekoa, which is ten miles south of Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. Jeroboam too of Israel, the northern kingdom, he was Amos' target audience. Jeroboam and his northern kingdom—they were always into pagan worship, as were all the kings of the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, Uzziah was a good king of Judah at first, but then he went astray during the latter part of his reign. So we begin today's reading with chapter 6 of the book of Amos. Verse 1, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria, notable persons in the chief nation, to whom the house of Israel comes. Go over to Calneh and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great." Then go down the Goth of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than your territory? Woe to you who put far off the day of doom, who cause the seed of violence to come near, who lie on beds of ivory, stretch out on your couches, eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments and invent for yourselves musical instruments like David." who drink wine from bowls and anoint yourselves with the best ointments, but are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Therefore they shall now go captive as the first of the captives, and those who recline at banquets shall be removed. The Lord God has sworn by himself, the Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. Then it shall come to pass that if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when a relative of the dead, with one who will burn the bodies, picks up the bodies to take them out of the house, he will say to one inside the house, Are there any more with you? Then someone will say, None. And he will say, Hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. For behold, the Lord gives a command, He will break the great house into bits and the little house into pieces. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? Yet you have turned justice into gall, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Do you rejoice over low debar? who say, Have we not taken Karnaim for ourselves by our own strength? But behold, I will raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, says the Lord God of hosts, and they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the valley of Arabah. These verses are particularly cryptic at first glance, but keep in mind he's talking to the God-rejecting, it up inhabitants of Israel, the northern kingdom. The less-than-obvious references in this chapter would have been very piercing to Israel's inhabitants with regard to some of their daily practices and attitudes. All of these verses implicate Israel in that they took pride in their riches and national strength, but Syria would soon bring all of their pride to a screeching halt. Woe to you! They were living like there was no tomorrow, no tomorrow to face God. But notice the prophecy of Amos in verse 8. It says, The Lord God is sworn by himself. The Lord God of hosts says, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. Verse 14 caps this chapter off with the promise that God will raise up a nation against Israel to afflict them. Here it is, Assyria is coming. Assyria's defeat of Israel, the northern kingdom, took place in 722-721 BC. That was during the reign of King Hosea of Israel. That's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 17. Then we have some warning visions in chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop. Indeed, it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was, when they had finished eating the grass of the land, that I said, O Lord God, forgive, I pray. O that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Thus the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God called for conflict by fire." And it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. Then I said, O Lord God, cease, I pray. O that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Thus he showed me. Behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them any more. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with a sword against the house of Jeroboam. Well, Amos first gets a vision of the locusts coming and eating up all the grass after the first mowing of the season, the crop tax designated for the king's livestock. This would leave no grass for the cattle of the people of Israel. Amos makes an appeal, and God dismisses that judgment. Then Amos has a second vision of fire consuming the land of Israel, but God dismisses this judgment as well. However, in the third vision, God invokes the plumb line. You've seen a plumb line before. It's a weight on the end of a string to make certain that vertical structures are precisely vertical. Here's what God is saying in this third vision. His judgment will be based upon a concrete standard, like a plumb line, A concrete standard of Israel serving or not serving the one true God. If they don't, they will fall to the Assyrians. Verse 8 says, I will not pass by them anymore. God is saying that He will no longer pass by them without judging them for their sin. Beginning in chapter 7, verse 10, King Jeroboam's chief priest becomes hostile. Verse 10 Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, "'Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. "'The land is not able to bear all his words. "'For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, "'and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. "'Then Amaziah said to Amos, "'Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. "'There eat bread, and there prophesy. "'But never again prophesy at Bethel, "'for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence.' Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a harlot in the city, Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by survey line. You shall die in a defiled land, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from his own land. Whoa! The truth hurts, remember? Amos lived in Judah, but prophesied in religiously corrupt Israel. That's the northern kingdom. Well, the chief priest, Amaziah, the chief priest of pagan central, well, that's my term, Central in Bethel, he was sent by Jeroboam II to put a stop to the prophesying of Amos, to send him packing back to Judah and never return back up to the northern kingdom. In effect, he says, go home and prophesy and just don't come back here. In the process, he accuses Amos of conspiracy against the king by twisting the prophecy of Amos. If you compare verse 11 to verse 9, you'll see what I mean by twisting the prophecy of Amos in order to try to evoke a more violent reaction from Jeroboam. Now listen, it's not good to mess with God's prophets. You might get a little bit of personal prophecy that you really didn't bargain for, as Amaziah did right here in verse 17. Amos tells him, Your wife will be violated, your children will die, you will lose all you have and die in a pagan country. <laughs> wow! Wow! I know Amaziah, the pagan priest, was sorry he brought that up. Isn't it interesting that God's man Amos had no tolerance, well, nor did God, no tolerance for the false religion of this priest and the king of Israel that he served, Jeroboam? I'm amused at the reply Amos gives the bigwig pagan priest in verses 14 and 15. He says, I wasn't a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but God told me to tell them, and I told them. So what are the qualifications for proclaiming righteousness? Just God's command to go. The last straw, we see that in chapter 8, verse 1. Thus the Lord God showed me, Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? So I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. And the songs of the temple shall be wailing in that day, says the Lord God. Many dead bodies everywhere, they shall be thrown out in silence. Hear this, hear this, you who swallow up the needy, and make the poor of the land fail, saying, When will the new moon be past that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their works, "'Shall the land not tremble for this, and every one mourn who dwells in it? "'All of it shall swell like the river, heave and subside like the river of Egypt. "'And it shall come to pass in that day,' says the Lord God, "'that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. "'I will turn your feast into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. "'I will bring sackcloth on every waist, and baldness on every head.' I will make it like mourning for an only son, and its end like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day the fair virgins and strong young men shall faint from thirst— those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, As your God lives, o Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Well, God had given Israel many chances to turn back to God, but they had declined all of them. This is the last straw, the end of the line, the deal breaker, so to speak. In other words, no more chances. Notice the declaration of verse 2. It says the end has come upon my people Israel. I will not pass by them any more. Hang on, the Assyrians are coming. Amos speaks directly to the pride and sin of the people of the northern kingdom in verses four through seven. All indications are that they were clueless regarding their impending destruction. In verse seven, he says, "Surely I will never forget any of their works." Their judgment is seen in verses eight through ten. And God takes credit for the fall to Assyria, which is in store for them in the future. In verses 11 through 14, we see that they will one day seek answers to their dilemma, but no answers will be available at that late date. Their rejection of God will prevent him from delivering them. Incidentally, the phrase, or phrases should I say, "...behold the days come, and it shall come to pass in that day," Those have often been oversimplified by some Bible teachers. We find these phrases here in this passage. Some have suggested that they always are packed with the implications for the tribulation and afterward. But these words must always be viewed in light of the context in which they're written. Now, in this passage, the references are clear, clearly pointing to the fall of Israel to the Assyrians, which is an event which took place in 722-721 B.C., that was during the reign of King Hoshea of Israel recorded in second Kings chapter 17. So this prophecy has already been fulfilled historically. The reference to Dan in verse 14 denotes one of the two locations where the founder of the northern kingdom Jeroboam I had erected one of two golden calf altars for Israel's worship back in first Kings chapter 12. This worship of the calf became the state religion of the northern kingdom at that point. The sin of Samaria in that verse is a description of their worship of false gods instead of the one true God of Israel. In chapter 9, Hamas prophesies there will be nowhere to hide. Verse 1, I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the doorposts that the thresholds may shake, and break them on the heads of them all. I will slay the last of them with the sword. He who flees from them shall not get away, and he who escapes from them shall not be delivered. THOUGH THEY DIG INTO HELL, FROM THERE MY HAND SHALL TAKE THEM. THOUGH THEY CLIMB UP TO HEAVEN, FROM THERE I WILL BRING THEM DOWN. AND THOUGH THEY HIDE THEMSELVES ON TOP OF CARMEL, FROM THERE I WILL SEARCH AND TAKE THEM. THOUGH THEY HIDE FROM MY SIDE AT THE BOTTOM OF THE SEA, FROM THERE I WILL COMMAND THE SERPENT, AND IT SHALL BITE THEM. THOUGH THEY GO INTO CAPTIVITY BEFORE THEIR ENEMIES, FROM THERE I WILL COMMAND THE SWORD, AND IT SHALL SLAY THEM. I will set my eyes on them for harm and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell there mourn, all of it shall swell like the river, and subside like the river of Egypt. He who builds his layers in the sky and has founded his strata in the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth, the Lord is his name. Are you not like the people of Ethiopia to me? O children of Israel, says the Lord, did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaphtor, and the Syrians from Kerim? Behold, the days of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord, for surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations as grain is sifted in a sieve. Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say the calamity shall not overtake nor confront us. Well, Amos sees a vision of the heathen temple of the northern kingdom falling in on the people and the rest being slain. Amos then goes into great detail, explaining that none of the false worshiping Jews of the northern kingdom would escape judgment. There would simply be no place to hide. Notice the thoroughness with which Israel will be destroyed. In verse 9, it says, For surely I will command and will sift the house of Israel among all nations as grain is sifted in a sieve, yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground. They won't simply be defeated by the Assyrian army, they'll be deported and spread throughout the nations. In fact, at the fall of Israel to the Assyrians, the influential people of Israel were deported to other lands. However, Amos does prophesy the preservation of a God-fearing remnant in verse 8 when he says, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, says the Lord. Finally, we get some good news in verses 11 through 15. Verse 11. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land, and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. So what about this restoration seen in the last five verses of Amos? Well, James actually quotes from this passage in Amos, In Acts chapter 15, verses 16 and 17, here's what we read. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. James was speaking to the Jerusalem council on the issue of Gentiles getting saved. These verses speak of the millennium under the provisions of the New Covenant that's specified in Jeremiah chapter thirty one verses thirty one to thirty four. The writer of Hebrews emphasizes the provisions of the New Covenant also in Hebrews chapter eight verses eight through twelve. That's where he actually quotes Jeremiah thirty one thirty one through thirty four. The New Covenant consists of an inward law written unto one's heart rather than an external law like the law of Moses. It's a description of New Testament salvation in Christ. The complete fulfillment of this new covenant for the Jews does not actually take place until every Jew is saved under its conditions, the conditions that will exist the very first day of the millennium. So while all of us today are saved by its conditions, the whole nation of Israel, per the covenant, will not be saved by those conditions until the beginning of the millennium. Now, if you'd like more information regarding the conditions of the millennium, then you can look at the scriptures that I've listed at the bottom of the page for the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today. Uh, Four passages in Isaiah, Micah, Ezekiel, and Revelation. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today.